0: You know, how would you describe the Apostle Paul? You know, there are a lot of opinions out there about Paul. Some would say he's dynamic, he's powerful, or maybe he's harsh and frank, dogmatic, narrow-minded. I know some who would say he's chauvinistic in his attitude. Some might even say he's he's bigoted with that narrow-mindedness, and there's all kinds of views of the Apostle Paul based on his writing and the history of his life. But you know, we we seldom think of Paul as loving, compassionate, and caring. We think of the Apostle John in those terms, but but not Paul. And in Galatians, he has been very direct and and abrupt. He hasn't minced words. He hasn't seemed very affectionate. But this morning, we're going to see a side of Paul that seldom comes into view. He's going to, I think, let down his guard a bit and expose his true feelings for the Galatians. We're actually going to find him calling them My children, something we expect from the Apostle John, but not from the Apostle Paul. We're even going to find him picturing himself as a mother giving birth to the Galatians. In fact, in our text for today, we're not going to see him so much as Paul the Apostle, as Paul the Pastor. Someone who obviously loves and really cares for people. Now, we should have seen this before. Paul's entire ministry should have been an obvious expression of love. We should have seen that. His love for Christ and his love for people. It empowered him to do things that that no one else has ever done. All that Paul did. Was motivated by love, sacrificial love, even though we seldom read it that way. But there's no mistaking it today, because in nine verses, we will clearly see him as Paul the pastor, pleading, praising, confronting, warning, longing, and agonizing over people he truly cares about. So let's get a fresh. Look at Paul today and take a peek into his heart. We begin by seeing Paul plead with the Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 4, just the first part of verse 12. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now, Paul's letter takes on a, a personal tone here. And, and he begins by saying, I beg of you. When he says, I beg of you, he's pleading with them. He's pleading about something he feels very strongly about, something that is, is heartfelt. And what is it? It's his desire that they be like him. Now, that seems a little weird. Seems just a little weird, until you remember he said a very similar thing to Agrippa. When sharing his testimony with the king, Paul said, I would to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul made it clear he wasn't wishing that the king or even his accusers were going through the trials he was facing. He was simply wishing that they had what he had in Christ, that they knew Christ as he did. And that's what he's wishing for the Galatians, that they might know the same joy and freedom in Christ that he And as we've seen, that's what they were in danger of losing, thanks to the Judaizers. And a legalistic approach of earning favor with God. And so Paul pleads with them, become as I am. He holds himself up as an example of someone who has what Christ intends all his children have. He says, become like me. Now, again, that may seem a little egotistical, but that's not what he's trying to communicate. All he's saying is, I want you to have what I have in Christ. He's not saying you have to become just like me to be blessed. He's saying, I want you to look at my life as a pattern that you might be able to follow. So you can discover the blessings I've found. And as a pastor, that's what he wanted for them. He wanted them to find what he had found in Christ. And he had wanted it so much that he had become like them to be able to share his life with them. He didn't just want to stand apart from them. He wanted to enter into life with them so they could then see what he had in Christ and would accept what he had found. But to do that, he was willing to enter into their life. He's, he adds, for I also as you. And that's all that's said in the Greek. Now, what does he mean by that? I think he's saying the same thing he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. Paul was willing to identify with anyone in order to be able to share Christ with them. He was willing to become like them, to live as they lived, to eat what they ate, to work as they worked. He made whatever sacrifices were necessary to get them to accept him so he could share with them his Savior. And give them the opportunity to find the same joy he had found in Christ. And apparently it had worked. For they had at first received him very well. And Paul praises them for it. Let's, Let's read on. He says, you have done me no wrong, but you know. That it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. You have done me no wrong, Paul writes, referring to the way they had treated him. In fact, he praised the Galatians, for the way they initially received him. He said that it was because of a bodily illness that he had first preached the gospel to them. That an illness is what had first brought him to Galatia or detained him there. Now, what that illness was, we can only guess. Some have suggested that he had contracted malaria along the coastline and had gone inland and into higher elevation to to get away from the malaria area. Others suggest he maybe had epilepsy or he had an eye problem that made travel difficult for him. Whatever it was, it must have made him physically repulsive or hard to care for. And he recognized that his bodily condition was a trial to them. But he praised them for not despising or loathing him. The word for loathe actually means to spit at. He praises them for not spitting at him. But spitting for them was more than just a symbol of disgust. They thought spitting would ward off evil spirits that caused sickness and, and keep them safe. But they didn't treat him as if he was a carrier of demonic diseases. They received him as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. And Paul praises them for it. He knew it was hard, but they did it. They judged him on the basis of his message and not on his appearance. They judged him as preachers should always be judged. And he praised them for it. But something had happened. Their attitude toward him had changed. And Paul had to deal with it because he cared about them and he cared about the relationship. So he raises the question on his heart and confronts them with his concern. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul knew the relationship had deteriorated and and he couldn't ignore it. You know, it would have been much easier to simply say, whatever, and go on. But he didn't. He wanted to know what had happened. What had happened to that sense of blessing that had been evident when they were together. They used to be happy to have him around. They cared about him. They would have done anything for him. He even said they would have plucked out their eyes for him. And that's where we get the idea that something may have been wrong with his eyes. They cared so much for him that if it would have been possible to give him their eyes, they would have done it. Their love for him knew no bounds. But things had changed. Through their correspondence, he had noticed the change in attitude, and it bothered him. So he dealt with it. And the only thing he could figure out was that he had become their enemy by telling them the truth. So he came right out and confronted them with that possibility. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. You know, No one wants to risk making someone their enemy by telling them the truth. Now, good pastors do it. They shouldn't enjoy it. And it's not easy. And it's certainly not easy to then go back and confront someone again and tell them they didn't handle your initial confrontation very well. And just ask them straight out if it's because you were honest with them that your relationship had soured. That would really be hard to do. But Paul did it. He cared that much about the Galatians. He risked driving them even further away in the hopes of getting them back. And then he bravely went on to warn them about the new relationships they were building. Verse 17. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. Now, they are the Judaizers. The Judaizers, those who insisted that Gentiles had to become Jews if they wanted to be Christians, were courting the Galatians. They were eagerly seeking them out, trying to win them. But their motives weren't commendable. Paul said they wanted to shut the Galatians out so they would seek them. Now, what does that mean? I think he's saying the Judaizers were like a third kid at play, trying to turn the other two against each other so he can have one all to himself. They were trying to cut the Galatians off from others, primarily Paul, to make them dependent upon the Judaizers. They were discrediting Paul's teaching so the Galatians would accept theirs. In reality, they were cutting the Galatians off from the grace of Christ. They were making them feel insecure so they could dominate them and force them into uh, the legalism that they taught. Now, that's a common ploy among cults today. They eagerly seek out converts and try to turn them against everyone and everything else so they can control them. And sadly, some churches and preachers do the same thing. They want their people dependent upon them for everything. They seek to control their flock by shutting them off from others even a personal relationship with Christ. They are afraid to teach their people about liberty and freedom in Christ because they're afraid they'll get the idea that they don't need them anymore. How misguided is that? The goal of preaching and counseling, which, in my opinion, is nothing more than individual teaching, shouldn't be to make people... Dependent upon you. It's to make people free in Christ. And dependent upon Him. To give them confidence in the written Word. And in the body of Christ as a whole. So they can go directly to Him. That's what Paul wanted for the Galatians. And that's what the Judaizers were taking away. Now that's not to say... Paul didn't take it personally. He did want the love and respect of the Galatians. In fact, he longed for it. And he he tells them such. He says, but it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And not only when I am present with you. Now, we really can't be 100% sure who Paul is talking about here. Was he saying it was good for the Galatians to be eagerly sought out, or the Judaizers, or himself. Now, I think the second half of that sentence puts the focus on Paul. But any way you look at it, he's saying something very true, and that is that everyone wants to be wanted. The Galatians wanted to be wanted. The Judaizers wanted to be wanted. Even Paul wanted to be wanted. And it is good to have someone eagerly seek to build a relationship with you if their motives are right. And they're doing so in a commendable manner. Paul longed for the Galatians' friendship. He wouldn't compromise the truth to get it or to keep it, but he wanted it. Even when he wasn't with them. Cared about them. And he wanted them to care about him. He even agonized over them and the relationship. But it wasn't it wasn't for selfish motives. He wanted, again, a good relationship with them because he wanted to help them have a good relationship with Christ. And over that, he agonized. My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul thought of the Galatians as his children and said he was in labor with them again. He had had a hand in giving birth to them, But his involvement in their spiritual life hadn't stopped there. And we sometimes tend to think the hard part is over once we have served as midwife to someone's spiritual birth. But that's only the beginning. And Paul recognized that fact. He said he was still in labor with his spiritual children and that he would be until Christ was formed in them. Now, he is using a kind of a mixed metaphor here, picturing himself in labor with the Galatians, assisting their spiritual birth, and then in labor with them, waiting for Christ to be formed in them. But the point, I think, is clear. Paul agonized over the spiritual development of his children in the faith. And his goal for them was Christ in their lives. It was not... That they become good church members. Or that they depend on him for everything. But that Christ be truly formed in their lives. And that should be the goal of every pastor. I know that's my goal for you. I want more than anything else. See Christ at work in your life, conforming you to his image. And to do that, I plead with you to become as I am. Not so you can be another little Rick, okay? God forbid. But that by following my example, you might find the blessings I found in Christ. I try to be open with you about the joys I found in Christ. Not to gloat over it, but to share it with you. I want you to know the joy I have in Christ. I plead with you look to me if you can to find out how to have that kind of relationship where you enjoy the Lord's presence and His gifts every day and the hope of eternity that He gives you. I'm willing to risk being misunderstood to say, be like me, at least in that regard. And then I'll praise you. I'll try to praise you. When I see good things happening in your life, when I see you responding to people and situations in a Christ-like manner, it gives me great joy to be able to take someone aside and say, man, I see some neat things happening in your life. That's exciting. That's exciting. And I'll try to be brave enough to confront you. When I see problems arising, not just differences of opinion, and I'll try not to intrude into your life with my thoughts about everything, but when I see dangerous situations and relationships developing, I pray for the courage to confront. And I truly, truly do want to pastor you. Now, you know I'm not comfortable just being called pastor. Pastor. Because we've got lots of pastors in this church. The elders are pastors. Sunday school teachers are pastors. It's all of our goal to shepherd you, to model for you a relationship with Christ, to lead you into that relationship, and to watch Christ be formed in you. That's our greatest joy. That's our greatest joy. And I do want to be at least one of your pastors, and I want to be your friend. I really do. I I love the size of our church. I'm sorry. Because if you're willing to let me, I can get to know you on a personal basis. I want to be your friend. And I do agonize over you. Even if, like Paul, I don't always show it. But let me assure you I do care. And like Paul, more than anything, I want you to give your heart to Jesus, because I know what he can do with it. Let's give our hearts to him again, even now. Let's stand.